Welcome to Down East Diversity, a main podcast that seeks to collect, document, and tell stories of people and culture in Maine. This program is brought in conjunction with Healthy Acadia, an organization whose mission is to empower people and organizations as we build healthy communities together. I am thrilled and honored to introduce our guest this week, my friend and co-host Jacques Newell-Taylor. Jacques is the founder of the Exercise Design Lab and developer of neurologic training. He has over 25 years of experience and education in the fields of applied neuroscience and exercise science. His strong reputation for the excellent results and thoughtful service have earned the respect of medical and exercise professionals, professional athletes, and celebrities. Jacques is an avid mountaineer. He enjoys music of all kinds, camping, mountain running, orienteering, weightlifting, and the opportunity to be mindful while participating in any activity. He enjoys working with his clients, students, and colleagues and helps develop the skills to do the same. Jacques is married to his best friend, Alexandra, and they have a daughter and a dog. Thank you so much for your time today and welcome to the show, Jacques. Thank you so much for that warm introduction and welcome. And I am uh, very pleased and excited to be working with you on this project. So yes, my name is Jacques uh, Newell-Taylor and I am the father of a two and a half year old little girl and I'm married to my partner, Alex, my best friend. And um, we live on Mount Desert Island and I've been here for about two and a half years now. And uh, I started a business here called the Exercise Design Lab um, and I'm an exercise professional. And at the lab, what we do is uh, we design exercise from the nervous system's point of view. I know that sounds weird. Like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, the idea is we're trying to deliver on that promise of exercise. Everybody says exercise should feel good and to do all these wonderful things for you. But a lot of people don't have that experience. And we want to design things specifically for each individual so that not only do their bodies feel great, but they can develop all the mental attributes and all those skills that they need in order to be at their best. And we've been doing that here in Bar Harbor now for, yeah, about two and a half years. And uh, we work with a spectrum of people from professional athletes who come in their off seasons to people who've had hip replacements, or maybe they've just had a, you know, some sort of a sore shoulder or um, their back is chronically sore. Um, we're even working with people who use their bodies uh, to make their living. For example, people who fish or people who are in the construction industries, where they need to learn how to take care of their bodies so that they can do all the amazing physical things that they do. I am so glad you chose to be in our community. I know my son looks up to you and he cannot mm. wait to have those one-on-one -on -one sessions with you as well. Um, I'm sure beyond just uh, catering to our working uh, families on the island. I know you also work very closely with young athletes within the school system. Um, mm -hmm. You tell me a little bit about that as well. The idea is to help young athletes learn how to manage and take care of their bodies um, as they really push themselves to the limit. Um, how do you learn how to recover? How do you make sure that you are not creating too many imbalances in your body. And the other thing that I think is really exciting is they're starting to do measures like uh, take uh, neurological assessments before athletes get injured. For example, uh, they'll sit you down for a battery of tests to understand your cognitive abilities. And then if you're playing a sport and you happen to hit your head, 
and they're concerned that you have a concussion, they can have you do that same battery of tests and compare it to the baseline to be able to say, oh yeah, you've got a concussion. And they can retest you frequently to see when you're actually recovered from that concussion. Well, we wanna do the same thing for the neuromuscular system. So we can take an athlete when they're feeling really good and know what their muscles are doing, how they're participating as they run, for example. And then if they pull a hamstring or tear an ACL or uh, sprain an ankle, we can actually have a baseline comparison so that when they actually go back to play, we know that they are really ready to go and that they're not in that vulnerable compensatory stage where they think they're ready, but if they were to go right today, they probably re-injure themselves or re-injure themselves in the next week or so. So I'm excited about that, that work that we're doing with these young athletes as well. Fantastic. And I also know you're a very involved member of our community on other issues and especially the issue of racial equity. Could you mm. tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes. Um, this is uh, something that's obviously very near and dear to my heart. Uh, the idea is really trying to um, encourage uh, the different domains on our island. That's education, healthcare, housing, law enforcement, uh, financial resources, uh, government, encouraging the leadership in all those different domains to take a look at institutionalized racism and what we've done is we put together a project where we invited leaders from all those domains, that's directors of hospitals, people on town council, people on the board of education, uh, some of the uh, bank managers, all these different folks uh, from law enforcement, uh, the fire department, we've invited them all to come to these very deep and um, probing um, workshops where they are learning about systemic racism and how to start to look at it within their own domain. Right, so I'm really excited about that that project, and 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 we've had two rounds of it now. So I think we've had uh, close to 200 of our community leaders go through this uh, very specific training, and we're excited to see how they start to reflect and incorporate some of these ideas into our local institutions. Absolutely, and the racial equity working group on the island has been mm. instrumental in some key partnerships within the community that have led to some amazing events, some opportunities for education, as well as providing opportunities for young people to engage in the dialogue and, and speak to the issue. Yes. So yes. I'm pretty appreciative of, of that. Um, and what you and, and the rest of the team are doing. And we hope to continue to partner with you as Downey's Diversity to keep mm -hmm. advancing the work. The other issue I think related to that is we, you and I have talked quite a bit about systemic racism in the health and fitness industry. And I honestly mm -hmm. don't know what that really is like because I obviously do something slightly different from what you do. So yes. uh, could you please speak to that a little bit? It really is directly related to this idea that whatever you do, whatever is your profession, your calling, if you look at it closely enough, you will see the threads of racism course throughout that the history of that industry. And you might even recognize it right now today. And what I recognized uh, this was um, easily 15, yeah, 15, 20 years ago when I was still living in Los Angeles. I recognized that um, I had this skill set and I was working with folks and charging quite a bit of money. And so I was working with people who had a lot of means. And what that meant in Los Angeles, it was mostly affluent white men and white women. And it was very rare when I would come across 
um, a black person or person of color on my schedule. And it's not because that there aren't affluent black folks and people of color in Los Angeles. I just hadn't, hadn't tapped into that network. But more importantly, what I realized was that I wasn't, I wasn't able to help all the people who needed this help. It was something that was specifically being offered to and in a way that would only be accessed by people who had an advantage, who were privileged. And I saw that, I recognize that as very problematic. If I really truly believed in the promise of exercise, that it can change your life, it can change your body, it can change your mind, it improves your health, improves your experience of life, helps to get what you want, then I'm offering this to the people who've already got a lot. And I saw that as a problem, but I didn't know what to do about it because I got to make a living. I wonder, how, do, how do I solve this? And I didn't really fully understand how urgent it is until a really good friend of mine, this, he has no idea how much this has changed my life, but he sent me this paper. He sent me an article by a man named Lewis Moore. He sent me this article that's called Fit for Citizenship, Black Sparring Masters, Gymnasium Owners, and the White Body from 1825 to 1826. He sent me this paper and it blew my mind because what it showed me is that there is a history of black men teaching white men and women how to take care of their bodies, not only for the benefit of their physical health, but for the, for the benefit of their mental health as well. Hmm. This history goes back to before Dred Scott, right? Which is right around the time when they're saying, well, I don't, the citizenship thing, this is not for you black people, right? All these rights that we have mm -hmm. as, as white Americans, right? This is not for you. So right, we're talking about in the 1850s or so, and you have these black men as a matter of fact, one of the, the first black teacher at Harvard was a black man teaching something called physical culture. In other words, how to take care of your physical body, how to exercise. It was such an important thing to Harvard that they actually built a big, massive gymnasium. And they hired this man, Aaron Hewlett, a black man, to teach white young men how to take care of their bodies. So I realized that this is something that has been built into our culture for a long time. These black men teaching white men and white women how to take care of themselves physically. And what was interesting is around the same time, the 1850s or so, you had another black man named Peyton, Peyton Stewart. Peyton Stewart, what's interesting about Peyton Stewart, he has this, this, this massive gym in Boston and not only did he have male instructors, but he had female instructors. He even invited in children. I realized that there was just this, this massive history. And I was just repeating that history. And I said, you know what, Taylor, you've got to do something about this, Jacques. This is no longer a thing that's like a wish list on the someday. This is something I have to do today. So I realized that I was repeating history. I was stuck in this historical loop of doing the same thing that my forefathers had done. And it's, 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 it's a much deeper thing to, to talk about. I guess what I wanna share with you is how examining this, his, this history, examining this historical context, this fact that for a long time, black folks have made thriving businesses taking care of white people and not knowing how to go back and help other black folks out, not taking the time to figure that out. I wanted to interrupt that. I wanna interrupt that right now. So. What I'm asking is all of my clients who feels privileged and able to, to donate, 
I'm saying I'm going to match your donation dollar for dollar or session for session. If you say I'm going to buy one session for someone else to use, I'm going to match you with a session so that the next person who walks in here and says, listen, I need what you are doing. I have high blood pressure. My blood glucose is high. I am depressed, but I need to be able to physically use my body because that's the way I make my living. I want to be able to say, I can help you. We have the resources. I just need you to make this little small monetary contribution so that you have some something that's invested in this and we will take it from there. I want to make sure that everyone who needs this or who wants this, wants access to this kind of uh, experience can do so. Thank you for sharing that. I have to say that for my family during the onset of COVID, what mm. carried us through, and this was happening at the heels of my father's demise. It's the time period when my son was introduced to uh, video exercise videos <laughs> because mm, we yes, yes. Home, we had the shutdown. And I knew that we needed an outlet for, for what we were doing. And so we, we started exercising and uh, together as a family, we also started thinking about our mental health as well, because I knew we we're going into this funk period where I didn't know we, there were so many unknowns and I was a little worried about their mental health. So two things, mental health, physical fitness, words that come to mind, access and privilege, disruption and positive integration. Those are words I had over and over again in the last couple of days when I attended this brain science symposium. But what was evident at that forum was the fact that there's a missing piece of the conversation. When we talk about neuroscience within the multicultural context, because we know from the history of neuroscience and racism that, um, Racism does have an impact on physical and mental health. And it's a subject that needs to be explored and spoken about more. So I don't know if you have any reactions to any of that. You are listening to Down East Diversity. And our guest today is Jacques Nuwotela, my podcast co-host. Today, we are having a conversation about his life his passions, and his aspirations. Thank you for joining us. Yes, yes. Uh, um, first, to, to, to say that that is the important relationship that has been highlighted over and over throughout history, that there is a relationship between um, being physically well and being mentally well, and that unfortunately, for black folks, sometimes we have had to be physically superior, even though the, the, the conditions that we were living in prevented us from mentally thriving. I mean, it, it, when, when you think about some of the things that, are, that our forefathers had, had to manage, they had to be physically phenomenally strong. But the, but the environment for their minds was not exactly enriching. It was not something where, where you said, oh, that was a fantastic day. It was a brutal day, right? And then sometimes you had folks who were able to cultivate some of the, some of the skills of, 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 I'll call it, learning and using their mind, but they neglected their bodies. 
What we need is this merging of the two, the opportunity to bring both of those things together. And the part of it that I think is, 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 is still missed, and this is what I'm excited about what we're doing here, is everyone recognizes this relationship. And the conclusion is then go out and exercise, grab a video, get outside, run, walk, just do it. And we've been saying that for decades and it, it, it's still not working. It is not working for most people. Mm -hmm. No matter how often we tell people, go exercise. It's not working for most people because here's the problem. If we're all trying to do the same kind of exercise, what if you're not built for it? What if you're not quite ready for it? Then what happens is you trigger this process that neuroscience is called neurogenic inflammation. This is inflammation that your nervous system is managing and it is a stress response. And so as a result, instead of getting all those beneficial parts of exercise, you get some of the stuff that's not so beneficial. You might be able to survive your exercise bout, but instead of recovering and getting stronger, all you do is get ready for the next exercise bout and you're no stronger than you were before. You might even be a little bit weaker. So for every individual, we need to learn how to manage our own instrument so that when we go to use it, we are doing what is appropriate for your body not for your brothers or your sisters or your friends or your cousins or your mom's or dad's body, but for your body. And then you actually get all those wonderful benefits of exercise, both the mental and the physical attributes, right? Without that recognition, you could essentially be taking, let's say if you had a beautiful Ferrari, right? You wouldn't want to take your Ferrari off-road camping and stuff like that. <laughs> that would just not be a good use of that car. Now, if you took that to a track, that's a wonderful idea. Same thing with you know, something that's built for going off-roading, a Jeep. You wouldn't want to take that to a banked track. That thing would skid right off the edge. It would be a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So it's about learning your physical vessel and then what's appropriate for it. And then we can, yeah, we can get all those benefits, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, the evidence is there. Exercise, changing your mind, changing your body, changing your mind, there's a relationship and it's very powerful. But if we don't know how to do that for each individual, we miss out on that promise. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you could do this from anywhere else in the world. You've talked about having lived in LA. Why Maine? Why Maine? That's a great question. And if, if you had asked me, yeah, eight, eight years ago, you know, you're going to live in Maine. I'd be like, ah, maybe once I'm 70, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> what was interesting is um, uh, my wife and I, we wanted to have a family. We want to be closer to our family. Um, and so we moved to, first we moved to Florida closer to family. And it just wasn't, wasn't quite clicking for us. Uh, maybe, maybe more for me. And Alex had been coming to Maine ever since she was a little girl over the summers. And uh, when we first started dating about 12 years ago, um, she was still coming up here in the summer. So I'd come visit her every summer up here, stay for, you know, maybe 10 days or two weeks at a time. And I fell in love with the place. I was like, this place is great. The only thing I was concerned about was, can I have a business here? And um, as I got to know people and um, got to know the community, we decided let's go for it. It's a great place to raise a family. Um, people are genuinely helpful and welcoming here. Um, just like any other place on the planet, there are issues or things to, to manage and things to resolve, but you move anywhere in the US, you're gonna be managing the, the same issues that you're managing here. So. We went for it. It's a beautiful place. It's it's wonderful for families. Um, people who I've met have been extremely friendly uh, and, and helpful, and I've been very moved by the uh, the generosity that I've experienced here in this community. I couldn't agree more. I always say this every opportunity I have that 
I decided to call men home because of the warm welcome, but also people are willing to listen to my crazy ideas and, <laughs> you know, value my, my difference of opinion. They were more curious than they are racist to a certain extent. Obviously, you're mm-hmm. right. No society is devoid of challenges. We have our own. On the right. and um, and our previous guests, uh, the Kumars, and one they, and the guests before that, their daughter Siroi, they spoke beautifully about you know life on the island in general. And for those of you who missed those episodes, they're available on our website downeastdiversity.com. They spoke beautifully about just the unique characteristics of the island where we live, and also the benefits of raising children. Um, on the uh-huh. island and how that has worked really well for their daughter, Sroe. Uh, you and I are raising kids who are also members of the BIPOC community. Uh-huh. And I know as a mom, I have experienced the love as much as we've experienced some challenges. I know Rosie is beautiful. She's still young. I don't know if you've experienced any of that yet or if you have any fears related to that. I'll, I'll say I haven't experienced it directly yet. And I would say that it's not so much of a fear that I have as much as, um, I, I can't even describe it. It's, a, it's the most interesting thing. I just know that it's a reality of, of being here. So I'm not afraid of it as much as um, ready to help manage it, ready to, to do my part and seeing if we can shift things and uh, encourage people to be more curious than they are afraid. That's the opportunity uh, that I see here. One of the things that that I am truly, genuinely struggling with right now, I want to see young men like JJ Moore. I saw another another um, BIPOC kid. I was just driving driving to work. I saw him standing over there. I've seen him twice now. I was just like, and I know he's, he's got to be in high school. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, I should I should know him. I should know him. Absolutely, absolutely. All of our families, we should we should know each other, and we should, should be we should other. be having. We should, we should be having some sort of regular contact. Now, in Pittsburgh, where I grew up, the way that we all came together, and I'm not suggesting this, I'm not necessarily suggesting this the way it has to be, but the way it was for us was we all got together at church. Even if you were living in a community with black and white kids and the whole rainbow of kids, the black came, families came together at church. And, but we don't, have that, we don't have that kind of community here where we're, we're all, all coming together at at a spot, but I'm wondering how do we how do we create that? Because I think it's necessary. It, it, it's yeah, if, absolutely. If we don't do that, it'll be like us. We see each other once every two months, once every you know what I mean. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Jacques. You know what? Why don't we create the church? <laughs> I, I, and we've yeah. talked about this, and I think to, for the benefit of those who are listening, we are seriously considering this. I think even if it's having monthly gatherings, uh, we can Mm -hmm. call that our affinity group. I think having the dialogue within our group for people who have shared experiences, when you're talking about identifying groups of people who have similar or shared experiences and create a space for them to interact and integrate. And uh, I'm thinking that we need to do this where we bring, you know, all of our community together and just have a simple open dialogue, create this space where people can be free to just express what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're going through. 
And then yes. it will also provide some real opportunities for mentorship within our community. Because my son does look up to you as much as he looks up to Charlie and a few others, not to discredit the other people who are in his life who are not members of our community, to be honest, sure, they've been so sure. instrumental in his success so far. But yes. this is the missing piece. He tells me all the time yes. that he feels like he needs that connection now more than before because he's going through yep. the identity crisis. So I'm I with him on that. Yeah. Do you have any, yes. any additional thoughts on that? Really, truly, we have to make it happen. Um, I, I agree. I can remember when I was around JJ's age, I, I can remember the men that I looked up to. And it was very important to, to see these men who, and this is the interesting part thing about it. They didn't look physically like me, right? They were black men, but they didn't look physically like me. But, <laughs> but it, was, it was the fact that they were black men. Their, their strength, their sense of humor, their success, yeah, their presence, all of that was so, so, so important. Their yeah. view about life, their values on family, yes. the idea that they were thinking about issues beyond themselves. I think you and I, by default, have been yeah. predetermined to be leaders in this effort. And yep. I am so, so thrilled that I get to partner with you on this to be able to curate episodes where we, we allow for this dialogue to continue. We engage yes. others within and outside of our community because I yes. think it's important for this conversation to yes. exist and to continue to happen. Again, I, I know that uh, a lot of um, we BIPOC business owners, we know the struggle of just being a business owner. Mm-hmm. And we even may have overcome some things being a BIPOC business over. I know we have. It's just, it's just, it's built in. It continues to transform my opportunities to be of service, to look within the history of your own specialization, right? Whether you're a lawyer, doctor, um, and you can even be specific as to the type of doctor and the type of law, even if you're an accountant, to look back throughout history to see how racism was built in. And then when you see that, you can kind of go, now, is that still happening today? And if it is, what can you do as an expert in that field mm-hmm. to say, ah, here's, here's how we start to dismantle some of this racism that's in there. Because I can't do that for a teacher. I can't do that for a police officer. I can't mm-hmm. do it for a doctor or a lawyer because I don't know nearly enough about that. But I can look at my own profession and get in there. So I want to invite other people to do the same thing. If you're wondering, what can I do? Look at what you know the best. Thank you so much. I am completely challenged by that. And (laughs) happy to do a lot of, you know, reflection on how I can, you know, do more and how I can be better. Um, Jacques, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today and i don't want us to end our conversation without asking this last question if there's one wish or one (laughs) opportunity you would want to have in 2022 what would that be that is the opportunity to help more people develop the tools that they need to be their best selves that's fantastic 
I cannot thank you enough for joining us today, for sharing a little bit about yourself. I am sure our audience will get to know you more and more as we tag team on presenting episodes in 2022. I'm super yeah. excited. I cannot wait. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Thank you so much for this opportunity. I felt so honored to be invited to, to do this with you. And so thank you very much for the opportunity and for all the things that you continue to do for our community. Thank you so much. Please, big hugs to that beautiful baby and <laughs> your lovely wife. Yes, and much love back to you and your family as well. And uh, yeah, I look forward to doing more with you in the future. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You bet. A huge thank you to all of you, our listeners, for tuning in today. A special thanks to Healthy Acadia, The Criterion, The Main Justice Foundation, and our radio host, WERU. Learn more about our next episode by visiting our website, downeastdiversity.com. I'm Aline Siston, your host. Until next time, Asanteni. Thank you. <laughs>